Well, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. I am your host, Michael Delaware, and today I have a special guest who is the co-author of the book Ghosts of Grand Rapids, which was released in 2013. Julie Rathsack became interested in ghosts at an early age. At 10 years old, she began experiencing unexplainable activities in her home, which prompted her to collect anything she could find on the subject. In 2003, she officially joined the West Michigan Ghost Hunters Society, where today she's the vice president and the research director. And then she co-wrote the book Ghosts of Grand Rapids in 2013 with her friends Nicole and Rob Duchesne. They also base tours off the popular book in the city of Grand Rapids. And they're now in their eighth year of the Ghost of Grand Rapids outdoor walking tours. And they go a little bit of the history of the city at the same time as tell you some some spine-tingling ghost stories. So welcome to the show today, Julie. Thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So could you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you first became interested in ghosts and the history all behind that in the city of Grand Rapids? Absolutely. So I grew up in a haunted house. Um, I would see things, uh, hear voices. My mother heard them as well. So it wasn't just me being a little off. (laughs) Oh, I am. Don't get me wrong. Um, But, you know, we, we would see objects move. We would hear a little boy voice call out for his mom. Um, just weird things would happen. Um, then I began to work downtown and I was at a McKay tower on the 14th floor for many, many years and worked in there and started to go into college downtown back when it was GR. I think it just turned to GRCC at the time instead of JC. Um, and I went there for college to get my associate's degree and, Became interested in the architecture and the historical buildings that were downtown. And, you know, as I kind of walked around, I was totally just pulled into these buildings where I'd walk into them. And on some of the buildings, I'd feel nothing. But other ones, I'd walk in and my arm hair would stand up. And, you know, you just get like this feeling that there's something there. And it was the same feeling that I got back in the house. If something was going to happen, it was it just always came with the same feeling. So... I would walk into these places and a couple places when I'd walk in, they'd go, Oh, here comes that ghosty girl again. So I got the nickname <laughs> ghosty girl back then yeah. Um, because I'd walk in and just straight up, you know, Hey, you guys have anything weird ever happened here? Because, you know, I just get that feeling. And sometimes they'd look at me like I was completely nuts. <laughs> and then right. other times they'd be like, Oh yeah, we have stuff all the time. And they'd share their stories with me. So I always, you know, made notes in this book that I had and, so I've got all these notes going back because I probably started them around 1993, I want to say. Um, so I've got, you know, quite a few notepads of things jotted down. And sometimes I was smart and got the whole name of the person. Other times I just got a first name or, you know, mm-hmm. but I've got all these old stories on things that people told me when I would go around downtown. So right. um, I ended up meeting Nicole on two. 2002, I want to say, um, WSNX 104.5 had a contest. And you mm-hmm. may remember, um, I don't know if everybody will, but there used to be a show on MTV called Fear, where okay. you spend the night in this haunted house or whatever. And wow. if, if the contestants lived, haha, uh, they would get prizes, <laughs> you know, if they survived the night and made it uh-huh. out. And WSNX was doing the same thing. And I was one of the contestants. And so I basically spent the night at Felt Mansion out in Saugatuck. And this is prior to any of the restoration efforts happening. Um, I mean, the the windows were literally boarded up. It was an absolute creepy look, looking place, you know. Wow. And, uh, but we spent the night there. And that's where I met Nicole. Um, and her and I completely hit it off. And I uh, joined uh, West Michigan Ghost Hunter Society in 2003. And we always talked about writing a book about Grand Rapids. I mm-hmm. I was grew up absolutely obsessed with Don Ferret's book, Haunted Houses in Grand Rapids. Oh, um, okay. Like my Bible as I grew up, just because I literally, like, I, I figured out every one of the stories as far as the location. You know, he didn't have addresses or anything like that. It just mm-hmm. talked about certain people or certain places. And I literally, like, played little detective and figured out every one of those stories and figured out where the homes were. And so I just was always 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to write my own, you know, GR book. And I knew I had all these notes. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started getting into the history more than anything. Um, as, as I grew up, you know, you get you, the ghost stories are always fun, but I, I started to be able to associate the ghost story, like the haunting that I had heard. And I'd mm -hmm. find history that made you go, Hmm, I wonder if that's why it's haunted. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's always been kind of fun to connect you know, the, the story, whether they're fictional or not, but the, the paranormal story to what happened in the place. So oh, I was really interested in that. And that was the idea behind the book was to find the true stories, you know, with, with documentation on why they're haunted. So, well, that makes it for a much more fascinating read for the reader, you know, <laughs> it, it definitely does. It definitely and, does. And Grand Rapids has a lot of really old historic buildings that date back mm -hmm. to the early Michigan period, right? They're still absolutely uh, yes. standing there. Yes. Yep. So could you tell us some of the stories that you uncovered in your research? I know there's a whole list of them when I look at the. There are. There are absolutely tons of them. A uh, couple I, I. My favorite one to talk about is probably um, the wooden leg murder, which I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite, but it's the one I get asked about the most. Okay. Um, the Michigan Bell Building, which is over um, on Division Street downtown in Grand Rapids. Prior to them or that building being there, there used to be a home known as the Judd White House. Okay. And the Judd White House was um, owned by a lady named Sarah. And she ended up passing away and the home was empty for quite some time. But then they decided to start, whoever the owner was at the time, um, decided to start make, like making it into a boarding house. And so the train station was right about where Van Andel Arena is now. Uh -huh. And this home is not too far from there. So they opened up a boarding house and... This couple, their, their name were Warren and Vashti. Well, I, sh I should preface this by saying this story was actually in Gary Eberly's book and, and Don Ferrant. They well, Don Ferrant read or wrote the book in 1979 uh -huh. um, and discussed the the story in the haunted houses of Grand Rapids. In 1993, Gary Eberly had purchased the rights to the book, um, and at that time, Don Ferrant had actually passed away. Okay. And Gary Eberly wrote the book with John Lehman, and they they took what Don Ferrant had already done and elaborated it, added more stories to it, and re republished the book. Okay. So there are a couple different versions of this haunted house of Grand Rapids. Um, my my co writer Nicole had actually spoken with uh, Professor Eberly uh, and had. Uh, asked him about documentation for this story, the wooden leg murder mm -hmm. story. And he told her, he said, you know what, when I got the rights, he said, I got everything in writing and documentation for every story, except for the one with the wooden leg. So we automatically thought urban legend, it's probably, mm -hmm. you know, fake. Um, so Nicole primarily was the one who li literally started digging and was able to find that this really did occur. So in 1906, there was a couple named Warren and Vashti Rowland. Um, they got married against her parents' wishes. They were the kind of couple, everybody knows somebody like them, where, mm -hmm. you know, they're in love one minute and the next minute they're literally chasing each other around, trying to beat on each other. And it's <laughs> not, not a very good couple, let's say All that. Right. Um, well, they had moved to Grand Rapids uh, because Judd had gotten a, or excuse me, Ward. They call him Judd in the, uh, in the book. So they changed his name in the original book. Um, so he... Um, he got called to Grand Rapids to work for the railroad and they ended up running out the Judd White House. So they were the only ones there at the time. Okay. Um, and she basically tried to run it like she was the, the, the ma madam of the house, you know, and they had a couple rooms for rent and whatnot. And mm -hmm. he started working for the Grand Rapids Railroad and had a job there. In July of 1907, he ended up having a mishap at work where a, a rail car ran over his ankle. Um, they ended, oh. ended up rushing him up to St. Mary's Hospital, and they had to amputate his leg in the end. So they okay. fitted him up, you know, with this wooden leg, and that's kind of where the, the, the fun begins. Um, they had lots of abuse in the relationship. There are newspaper articles talking about how uh, he was caught chasing her down the back alley behind the Judd White House uh, with a knife. Um, there were other articles about how she's smacking him, you know, just 
they, they just uh -huh. did not get along and <laughs> things were not going well. <laughs> All right. Um, and then early in June of 1909, they both decided it's done. They moved out of the Judd White House, both went their separate ways around Grand Rapids. Uh, and they told their, they called the lawyers, said we want a divorce. She told her lawyer that, you know, he was abusive and he drank too much. He told her lawyer, this is my favorite, that she was abusive, drank too much, and didn't have his meals prepared on time when he got home from work. <laughs> <laughs> my husband would be calling for divorce right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, they decided again to try and work it out, you know, on uh -huh. a good day. Uh, and the last time somebody saw them was on June 26th of 1909, and they were walking downtown together. Her brother was with them. Vashti's brother was with them. Um, he was here visiting from out of town, uh -huh. and he or all three of them went to the horse and buggy rental and got a horse and a buggy and started driving around town. And everyone said, everyone that saw them said they looked like they're having a great time. Uh, Vashti's brother later talked about how they stopped at an alcohol store. And they purchased some alcohol. And in order for him to get the money out, he used to keep his money. Warren would keep his money in his wooden leg. He <laughs> so literally have to take his leg off to pay the man. Right. And um, Vashti's brother had talked about how when he took his wooden leg off, he had over $100 stashed in his leg, which mm -hmm. at that time was quite a chunk of money. Uh, heck, to me, it, it still is. You know? <laughs> but, uh, um he, you know, puts his leg back on. They finish off the night, have a blast. Everybody drank too much, but they brought the horse and buggy back. Um, and they said goodnight to the brother who went to the hotel. Uh -huh. And Vashti and Warren started walking towards Division Street, which is where the old Judd White House was. And everybody assumed that they kind of went their own ways. Um, but about or the following morning, Vashti's brother was leaving town and went to say goodbye to a sister and she wasn't at home. So he started looking around, couldn't find her, you know, and the police already knowing that it's a volatile relationship. They're like, maybe they decided to try it again and move out uh -huh. of the city or, you know, so the police weren't too worried about it. They figured that, that they'd end up finding them in the end because of the trouble they caused. Um, and the brother just ended up leaving town because he couldn't find him. And about five, five weeks later, a woman across the street um, from the, the Judd White House was starting to smell something and she couldn't figure out where the smell was coming from. It smelled like gas. So they call or she called the gas company who sent out a rep, you know, walks mm -hmm. up to the door, knocks on the door at the Judd White House and nobody answers, tries the doorknob, doors open. So he walks in, you know, calls out, there's nobody there goes and starts looking around and he gets upstairs of the Judd White House and there was, um, the door was locked. So he ended up taking an end table and putting it outside of the door and climbing up because there was a transom window above okay. the door. So he was able to peek in through the little window above the door and all he saw was black bodies laying on the bed. Um, there was the, he could smell the gas. He knew it was coming from there. Uh, he could see little tufts of clothing underneath the door, like somebody was trying to keep the gas in. So he assumed it was a suicide. Um, he ended up, you know, the gas got turned off. He went outside, he called the police. They all came. Coroner comes in and, you know, they, they don't even know who they are. Like the bodies were so blackened and decomposed that wow. there was like nothing. They couldn't find anything. The only thing they found was the wooden leg. So they started to think it's probably them, you know. Um, but they said that the gas fumes were so intense that even not to get a little descriptive, but you know, you got, you ever watch discovery shows, you know, with the, uh -huh. with the dead bodies, with the maggots and the bot flies and all that. They said right. that even the insects had suffocated to death because of the gas. It was that. <laughs> so you wow. know, got this body soup with all these insects dead on top of them. Um, they ended up doing the autopsy in the alley at the funeral home, which was a block away, same alley, they chased each other with knives down <laughs> mm, wow. um, because the bodies were making people sick when they had them in the building because they were still so absorbed in the fumes and all. Uh -huh. um, but the, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the policeman in that walk out and the, he throws his hands up and he says, he must've done it. He must've finally murdered her with his leg because they couldn't find any, any weapon. They couldn't find anything in this mess that was on the bed. Uh, um, 
<laughs> with the autopsy, they did end up finding out that Vashti had a bruise on her forehead. Um, so it looked like she got hit with something. However, the thought process is more of she probably bonked her head, fell down, you know, when she was drunk or something. Mm -hmm. um, they said that she had actually died by um, suffocating on her own vomit. Beautiful, beautiful scenario there. Um, that they, they said that she, it wasn't because she was like beaten to death with a leg or anything like that. But mm. um, a lot of people, we still don't know what happened. You know, there's the, did she die? Did they go back to the house to rekindle things? And, you know, just laying on the bed and, you know, she, she, he woke up and she's already dead from suffocating and, you know, from drinking too much, you know, and he decided he can't go on anymore, you know, and just turns the gas on and they found that he slit his throat. So he definitely did commit suicide. Um, but we don't know exactly how Vashti died. You know, a lot of people believe since it was so abusive that he killed her, you know, and mm -hmm. then he just was like, you're not going to live with me. You're not going to live without me kind of a thing. Right. There's, there's always that. What, what exactly did happen? We don't know. Um, we do know that the money that was in Warren's leg was no longer there. So you've got the the conspiracy theorists who, who think that the police did it, you know, just to steal the money or somebody made it look like it was it was a, you know, a, a murder suicide when it probably were, couldn't have been. You know, there's just so mm -hmm. many different things that could have happened and nobody really knows. So um Anyways, that place is known as being haunted now. Uh, they tore down the Judd White House around 1924, I want to say, and replaced it with the Michigan Bell Building. And that has uh, been there to this day. I've spoken with countless people who work there now and have worked there in the past. Um, there was a reputation that even before the home was, the home was torn down, that Vashti's spirit was there. There was an article in 1924 that I found in the Grand Rapids Press that actually discussed, um, it was a woman, they said it was a prominent woman in Grand Rapids. She refused to give her name because she didn't want people to think she was crazy. Uh -huh. um, but she said that she was driving her, her horse and buggy down the road and she saw Vashti and this was, see, it happened in 1909. So <laughs> lots of years later, 13 years uh -huh. later, wow. um, she said she saw Vashti who she knew when she was alive in the upstairs window, screaming and clawing at the window, looking like she's trying to get out. Um, oh. <laughs> I actually did tons of um, volunteer work at the, the archives here in Grand Rapids. And I came across a letter that was written by somebody who lived in Grand Rapids talking about his experience at the haunted house. And it, <laughs> it referenced the Judd White House. It talked about how he was riding a, a skateboard down Fountain Street and um, it, his skateboard went into the yard and he just freaked out and was like, his mom always told him, go, don't go near that house. You know, <laughs> this, wow. um, talked about how there were orbs in the, in the, like people would see lights, balls of light outside in the, in the yard when the house was there and just lots wow. of activity, you know, was supposed to have heard. So when they tore it down, it just seems like it transferred over to the building. Oh. So a lot of the people in the building believe that it's still haunted. Um, there's rumors that they closed off an entire floor, you know, because it's so bad. And yeah, no, that's not true. Oh. <laughs> Um, I've heard from one employee that the entire building is almost all telephone equipment, oh, I see. Um, which is why it's still there because, you know, we need the equipment to work because the, the, the land itself, you know, to be able to have a building right smack dab in the middle of downtown is worth a lot, but they've got so much phone equipment in there. It's not just easy pick up and move. Um, there's one story that I got from a person who said that she was in the bathroom and she says that she, you know, went to the bathroom, came out and she's washing her hands. And as she's standing there, she looks up in the mirror and directly behind her, there was a woman. She said she had darker skin um, and that she had her hair up in a bun, brown hair, and she was wearing this long black dress. Uh, and I ended up finding a picture and this was actually years later from talking to this lady. And the one picture I have of Vashti, I don't know exactly what her ethnicity was, but she had uh, darker skin and hmm. she had a hair up in her bun. So I don't know if it was her exactly. Um, <laughs> wow. so we have that. We have footsteps, you name it. Um, phone calls coming out. I actually had a security officer on my tour one night and he started laughing when we got to this building and he's like, he goes, I need to talk to you afterwards. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, <laughs> I love hearing more, bring it on. <laughs> afterwards, he comes up to me. He's like, so you're going to get a kick out of this. In the middle of my tour, he actually got a phone call 
and he, you know, he had to step to the side and he came back into the group and, um, he goes during the tour, I got a call, he said, and it was me being alerted again that the Michigan Bell building is having issues with their security system. He goes, I work for the company. I don't know if it was ADT or whatever, but you know, like when you walk through, uh, you know, businesses, how you got to scan your card to get through certain doorways. Right. He says, for some reason in this building, doors will open looking like they got a card scanned, but there's no card assigned to the person. So it's like something is going through scanning something that nobody can see to get through these doors. Really? And every time that <laughs> happens, he gets alerted. So he actually got an alert at that exact same time on that building that uh, unauthorized scan went through the building. And but the, he looked up the card and it doesn't belong to anybody. He has no idea like what what it's associated with. So something's yeah. in there just going where it pleases <laughs> yeah the wooden leg guy's looking for his yeah, money exactly <laughs> you know and there's there's so much more to that story i'm actually going to be in october um of this year i'm going to be doing a large presentation on that uh for the grand rapids historical society so you could check out their site if anyone's interested but it's, well, let's I start let's move on to some other stories from their book <laughs> That was Absolutely. a fascinating one. So let's talk about, I know that the Amway Grand was one that you oh, mentioned. Yeah. Yep, that has got some spooky guests that never checked out that yeah. people are seeing. Yeah, um, no, for sure. The Amway Grand uh, sits on land that was originally back in 1868. It's over by the river. I'm sure I don't know how familiar yeah. everybody is with it, but um, it was originally the Suites Hotel. Um, and Martin Sweet, who was the very first Republican mayor in Grand Rapids, had been asked to build that hotel because there were so many people coming to town for the for all the conventions and whatnot for the furniture. And he was mm -hmm. one of the richest guys in the city. So he, he agreed to it, you know, built the hotel. Um, it was purchased by Boyd Pantland in 1902. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of when the the sad stuff starts happening. Um, okay. In 1906, we know that the proprietor's wife, she her name was Amelia, they lived on the upper floor of the hotel. Um, she died of uterine cancer in her, in her quarters upstairs. Um, there was several different deaths. Probably the most popular is in 1914, there was a girl named Mary Monko, and she was... Uh, I guess you would call her a maid. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Her and her friend, Josephine Kruko, they were both about 17, you know, just late teens, mm -hmm. um, working for the place. And then they lived in quarters upstairs. So they literally lived on site. Well, they finished up working one day, both of them get into the elevator to go upstairs. And, you know, they're saying, can you bring us upstairs? And the guy's like, sure. So as they're going upstairs, according to the newspaper article, it said that they began to behave inappropriately with the elevator operator. And basically what I read is they were flirting. God forbid the thought that a woman flirt with a man. <laughs> as they were walking off the elevator, Josephine kind of reaches over and kind of like acts like she's going to grab at the controls of the elevator. And she, I don't know if she hit a button or what happened, but Mary, basically her head was caught between the iron gate and the elevator shot up and she was basically decapitated right on the site on the 10th floor. Oh my. Um, yeah. And then upon putting the elevator in reverse to unlodge her body, the body fell underneath the elevator and it was hit a second time once he brought the, the car down. Um, but the place is known to be haunted by a maid. Um, that's, that's always been the story that I have heard even long before I ever heard of Mary. That was one of the, the fun stories to find something that actually matched the ghost story. Right. Um, I had been told by countless people that they had been woken up by people arguing in the hallway and they'll open up the door to ask them to be quiet and there's nobody there. Um, one guy on my tour actually said, I would love to talk to you afterwards and comes up to me, tells me about how he was staying there. And he's like, you know, he, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm sitting down. I don't know if you've been in the, in the Amway, but in the main mm -hmm. lobby, there's kind of like a balcony area around the top. Right. And they always yeah. have benches or whatnot and seating. He says, I was there for a wedding. He goes, I think I had maybe two beers the entire night. He goes, it was about one in the morning. 
he's like, you know, and we're sit- everything's wrapping down. We're staying at the hotel, so nobody's rushing to leave. Right. He says, and I'm sitting on this bench smoking a cigarette. So this is you know, before they outlawed the smoking inside. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting on this bench smoking a cigarette. He says, and I look across. He says, and there's a woman looking at me. He says, she looked pretty short, about five, six or so. He says, and she had on this old maid's outfit. He's like, and at first I thought, you know, is she in a costume? He just, he kind of mm-hmm. questioned himself. He says, and he puts out a cigarette, lights up another one. And he says, and you know, I smoke that one. And she's still standing across the way, just kind of looking around. And then she looks over at me and she holds up her hand and she has an ashtray in her hand. He goes, and I'm thinking, okay, that's kind of weird. And she, he watches her with the ashtray in her hand, turn the corner. And he says that he goes to put a cigarette out and his ashtray is gone. He's like, I just put ashtrays out. Nobody's walked by me. He says, my ashtray is gone. Wow. Um, so there's just tons of stories like that. Another woman said that she had been there um, staying. They had a business meeting and her office paid for everybody to spend the night. And she said that every night at home, she goes, I always sleep on the left side of the bed. My husband's on the right. She goes, even if he's not with me, she goes, I still just always on the left side. It's my side. She says, I put all my stuff on the left side of the bed and on the dresser. She says, and when I woke up, everything had been moved from the left side to the right side. And she saw a woman dressed in a maid's outfit standing over in the corner. And then she disappeared. Um, Wow. Yeah. Like I just, I'm countless stories of the exact same sighting. Um, these are all at the Amway Grand today. Cause it's old, yeah. it was built on the side of the old hotel, which is kind of common when you see Absolutely. Yeah. modern hotels. Cause it'd yeah, be, it makes well. you wonder exactly what's still hanging out in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so there's some other buildings in the Grand Rapids tour that you guys do. Um, mm-hmm. One yeah. of that you mentioned was the Phillips mansion is. Absolutely. Oh. Yep. The Phillips mansion is one that is this gorgeous house. It's over on prospect. Um, it was originally owned by James T. Phillips, who was the owner of the Grand Rapids clock and mantle company. Uh-huh. Um, and he had quite a tragic life there. Um, he ended up losing quite a few family members, uh, his, I believe his 19 year old daughter, I want to say. And then he had a four year old uh, granddaughter, I want to say that passed away there. It's been quite mm-hmm. some time since I've looked into this one, but, um, but he's known as haunting the place. They've seen this man walking around, always looking dapper, you know, <laughs> has a, <laughs> a hat on a bowler's hat and just always is kind of checking things out. And, um, he just, yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely there. I, had my mom this is back this this is one of those you're going to see how long i've been into this i had my mom pretend we were going to buy this house it was up for sale many many moons ago and Uh i just had to get into this house and i knew it was in this book so i had my mom pretend that we had the money to buy it which we didn't but Uh you know they didn't know that (laughs) so we went in when it was actually for an open house um and we we went in and while my mom kept the realtor (laughs) you know busy i was Uh upstairs stepping photos of everything i could possibly see because i thought it was just so cool to be in there uh but but he's known as wandering the place they see him a lot standing by the fireplace in the living room wow um there's quite a few quite a few uh stories about that so Uh, is the house today still a private residence or somebody turned it into a bed and breakfast no it is actually still a private residence it was actually up for sale i believe a couple years ago again but as mm-hmm. far as I know, right now it's it's being lived in. It's a beautiful home. If you ever have a chance to drive by it, for sure, it's gorgeous. Wow. So it's got big white pillars outside. You can't miss it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then there's the uh, Saint Cecilia Music Center that yeah, you mentioned. Yeah, Saint Cecilia's. Yep, that's another one that's that's known as being uh, fairly haunted. Um, we actually do a lot of events there. Um, every now and then, the West Michigan Ghost Hunter Society will open it up. We we work with the St. Cecilia's and they are kind enough to let us have the place for the night. And we basically open it up and call it a public investigation. You know, we bring uh-huh. our equipment and we only usually take about 20, 25 people just because we want to keep it, you know, somewhat contained. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you guys stay overnight there or it's, it, it goes from about usually about six o'clock until about one in the morning. But okay. we basically just show people how we ghost hunt or, you know, what exactly uh-huh. it is that we do. We show them our, our, our equipment, you know, and if anybody's interested in doing it and it's just uh-huh. kind of a fun way to get people who are somewhat interested in learning exactly. Cause you get, you know, back in the day when we started doing this, I think that uh, Nicole had told me that there were about 
four teams in Michigan as far as ghost hunting teams. Right. And now there's like 300 of them, you know, with oh, all the wow. shows that are on TV, like everybody's popping up and thinking they're ghost hunters. So, so it's kind of a popular culture. I had no is, idea it was absolutely. that big. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. No, it's, it's insane. So, and it, and it's a good and a bad thing. I mean, it's it's cool that more people are interested in it. But at the same time, you know, even now in Grand Rapids, it's like I have people, you know, I'll, I'll be friends with certain people and they're telling me that, you know, they're getting requests to have people investigate these buildings that they're in charge of in downtown. Mm-hmm. And they're like, should we let them? Should we not? And I'm just like, you don't know because it's a lot of these people don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> not that right. there's like a huge, you know thing to do but it's like it's almost like it's somewhat you got that learning curve and a lot of these are just like high schoolers that just want to go in and they're jumping around the corners yelling boo at each other yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so you just gotta gotta feel out exactly how serious they are and you know we definitely still have fun when we do it so it is an so awesome is there a, is there a history to the saint cecilia music saint center Cecilia's, is there... yeah sorry i get sidetracked very easily <laughs> oh that's um, fine well, St. Cecilia's is actually known for having a lot of um, things happen. Uh, we've had uh, many, like that's what I started to say, we had many different um, investigations there ourselves without anybody there. Uh-huh. Um, the building itself was built in 1894. It was a huge place as far as the movement and the women's suffrage. Um, Susan B. Anthony had been there on many occasions, um, you know, trying to push the right for women to vote. Um, and we've been investigating it since I believe 2010 was the first year we got in there. Okay. Um, and there are tons of stories. Uh, there's a Victorian era woman. She's, you know, wearing that the, the same garb um, who was uh-huh. known as sitting in seat 105. Um, we went in and we tried doing EVP, electronic voice phenomena, where we leave a recorder on the seat. And we're like, is anybody here? And we ended up getting a woman's voice saying, move it. Like, like she wanted us out of her chair. She wasn't happy wow. about that. Um, so we've gotten quite a few different things there. Um, we were actually there with a news, newscast uh, for Halloween. You know, around Halloween, everybody wants to talk ghosts. So. Right. Yeah, it's um, a big time of year for that. We had told them about how we had been doing a public investigation and there was a husband and wife and there's a room downstairs that we always call the panel room. It's all beautiful. You know, I think I believe it's Oak paneling all over the walls and there's Uh a couple grand pianos in the room. And there was a couple down there doing, trying to do EVP and the woman was down there and she's playing the piano and he's like, she can't play the piano. (laughs) It's Uh like, he's telling us this on the side note. And he goes, so we're downstairs. He's like, and he goes, she starts playing and she says, you know, or he says, how do you like how my wife plays the piano? And he says that they didn't hear anything. You know, they stop, they sit on the couch, they rewind and they start playing back the the recording that they made. And you hear his voice say, how do you like how my wife plays piano? And he played it back for us. And it was literally this woman's laugh going, ah! <laughs> and scared her to death. This woman hightailed it up, ran up the stairs screaming and out the front door. And he came up and we, we thought it was just kids messing around, you know, so we go out to start yelling at him (laughs) and he's just like, hold on. You know, so he explained it. We went and checked on his wife. She was in the car. She's like, I'm not going back in there. Um, But he played it for us and we had that happen. And we told the news newscast about it because this was like, I don't know, a year or two later. And they're like, oh, we should try and recreate that just for fun, you know. Uh So they go downstairs and it was us, the cameraman. And she starts playing the piano and she played a little bit better than the other lady. Right. (laughs) But a cameraman says, so how do you like how she plays piano? And at the exact same time, everybody in the room heard laughing. So, yeah, so that was pretty cool. It made for a great news story. (laughs) Wow. Um, But we've also had stories of a janitor um, that's in the basement. That's not not the nicest man. Um, he'll be in the green room and downstairs there's two entrances that go upstairs. Like they have the green room under the stage. Um, so he would be standing in front of one of the doors and the guy said that he was vacuuming. He goes, it was, uh, African-American gentleman and he was vacuuming. He says, and he walked up the guy and he said, excuse me, sir, I got to get through. And he says, the guy looked at him, went, huh? And just kept vacuuming. 
And so the, the, he's like, so I started thinking, I'm going to be late for my call. You know? He's like, sir, excuse me, I got to get upstairs. He says, the guy turned around, looked at him and went, huh, like real, like louder and literally vanished, like vacuum and all. Everything's just gone. Wow. Which is like the first time I've heard of a vacuum disappearing. <laughs> but, wow. You know, he swears by it. He goes, he goes, I, he goes, I swear I almost crapped myself right there. He's like, and instead I had to get up to the stage and act like nothing happened. And wow. You know, this, yeah, hear lots of stories. So, so is it the, the music center still used for local yeah, entertainment and it's, it's kind of like an auditorium venue? Yep. And they run it out. Yeah. Yep. They, okay. Yeah, exactly. They run it out for weddings or other things. Um, they have a lot of concerts there still. Um, they bring in very great, you know, well-known names of, you know, wow. jazz, jazz people and just all different types of music and very cool place to check out for sure. Wow. Well, some of the other stories you mentioned was the Martin House Hotel. Absolutely, the Morton House. Um, so that is located almost like smack dab downtown in the middle. Okay. Um, tons of history there. I mean, absolutely. It's since there was Grand Rapids, there was something in this spot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there were several different hotels. In 1835, it was the Hinsdale Hotel. Um, okay. after that burnt down a lot of, lot of fires here, um, you know, back when they had the wooden sidewalks and then if one building caught on fire, it just kind of whipped to the next building. <laughs> right. Anyway, right. So, yeah. Uh, there was the Hinsdale hotel, the Hinsdale house. There was a national hotel. Um, they ended up making it into the Morton house in 1873, I want to say. Um, and at that point it was only about five stories high. Um, which was still, you know, pretty high in 1873. So yeah. there were several different deaths that were found there. Um, there was a man, I believe, in 1894. Um, his name was William Morgan, and he was 49 years old. And he was actually outside. Um, back then, they didn't have the regular, you know, elevators to bring things inside. Right. So they would have planks outside of the hotel. And they would put the luggage on the planks and then whoever would go up to the room, you know, and they'd Uh open the window and they'd get the luggage from, you know, the guy would raise the plank up and the luggage would go up to the thing. They'd grab it and bring it inside. So that was their way of kind of like a manual operator or elevator, excuse me. Um, Well, unfortunately, at this time, we got the plank going up and one of the wheels gives out and the board just completely fell and it ended up decapitating this man on the sidewalk. Oh, um, so he awful. lost his life. Yeah, there's there's some pretty pretty bad stories there. <laughs> <That is laughs> uh, my my whole tour is a lot of a lot of gore, but <laughs> but it's interesting. Um, you know, there was another man who uh, 1902 he committed suicide with chloroform that we found in the newspapers. Uh, hmm. There was another another Civil War vet died. Um, he was 86, and that was in 1919. Um, the building itself was purchased by Boyd Pantland again, you know, owner of the Amway. And he ended up tearing down the original building. This was in 1923. Tore down the original building and built what is there now, which is a 13-story building. Okay. Um, and it's had tons of, you know, it's still, it, it's not a hotel anymore. Now it's used for residences. Okay. Um, it's had uh, actual businesses uh the burleson sanatorium uh has been there which is the rectal doctors you know, no. <laughs> the butt doctors as some like to call it um that was originally there um but it's it's basically just a, a beautifully renovated place um wow. i had spoken with the construction company who was there doing the renovations and when i told them what i did they had one of the men had like, you got to see this. And he brings me to the, I believe it was the fourth floor. It's been a couple of years now, but right. um, he, he's like, he brings me up there and he shows me this red wooden ball. And he's like, I found this upstairs. He says, he goes, it was brought down when they pulled down the walls. You know, they literally gutted, you know, like rebuilt from everything right. um, recently. This is more recent. Um, so, you know, this, this 13 story building up, he said it was up. I believe he said it was on the tenth floor that he found this ball in the wall, and he says I brought it down. Everything that they were finding, you know, there was a safe, there was old furniture, just anything that they found throughout the building, they put into mm-hmm. this one room, uh, and just tons of, you know, it's kind of cool. Some of it was, you know, from the seventies or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. it was kind of all time frames. 
Right. And he he says, I brought this ball down. It looked old. It looked early 1900s. And he's like, um, he's like, you know, I, I put this ball down and I went upstairs and started working again. He goes in hell if this damn thing didn't get chucked at me. He says, I'm upstairs by myself. He goes, I get hit in the ankle with the ball. He's like, and this is like, you know, eight floors up from where he left the ball. Holy cow. And he goes, and I'm thinking somebody's screwing with me. He's like, you know, so I just pick it back up and put it in my pocket and don't think much of it. Bring it back downstairs. Next day, same thing happens. He left the ball down there. He goes, and nobody was up there. The first time somebody was up there with him. He says, so you just assume the guy was screwing with him. He goes, second time he was up there by himself and he got hit in the other ankle with the ball. Wow. Um, so, that's spooky. Yeah. There's, yeah <laughs> ghost, there's a ghost cat that's supposed to be there. Um, yeah. There was a, a story told that a woman's boyfriend got mad at him. Excuse me. Boyfriend got mad at her and threw her uh-huh. cat out from the 13th floor. And oh. sadly the cat did not land on all four and uh, ended up dying. And people still see a ghost cat all over the place. So between the ghost cat and the red ball, I don't know, maybe the two will see, meet each other someday. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an interesting tale. I've, yeah. I've heard yeah. stories, you know, you always hear stories about uh, the children's toys being moving around and things yeah. like that. That's a kind of a spooky. Yeah. And then there was another odd thing there. There was a woman named uh, Gladys Morgan who passed away there. And I had heard that she had a very mysterious death and how they found her. Uh, they said that her, you always hear about the uh, spontaneous combustion. Uh-huh. They found her body and her arm still had her cigarette in her, in her hand and her entire upper body was gone. Just her legs and her arm were still there. So, weird. <laughs> yeah, weird. some weird stories. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, there's a couple other buildings in the downtown area you mentioned was the trust building. Yeah. We, yep. Have we talked about that yet? We have not talked about that yet. <laughs> Um, the trust building itself was is a is a building that is actually still there. Uh, it sits on the site of the original home for w- William Haldane, which is the f- grandfather of furniture, as they called mm-hmm. him, yeah. uh, here in Grand Rapids. And his original home was there in 1891. They tore that down, sadly, um, and put up the trust building. So it's been there since 1892. And so this is one of the buildings I used to make deliveries to um, back when I worked in McKay Tower. And I had gone up in this building one time and, you know, I, I went in the building and I started getting my little, my little senses that something is in this building. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of got in the elevator, pushed the button to go up and I'm sitting there and it went up to the fourth floor, got off the floor. And as I'm starting to get off the elevator, I felt like I got pushed in the shoulder. So I'm like, what mm-hmm. the heck? So I get out, I go, and I actually knew the secretary there of the, in the mm-hmm. business. So I went to hand her the book, and uh, and uh, I'm like, she goes, she, I walk in, and she goes, you look like you've just seen a ghost, which made me giggle, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting you say that, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I handed her the book. I'm like, here's your book. I'm taking the steps. <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> and uh, she goes, why? And I told her what happened. She goes, you need to wait here. And I'm like, okay. So I waited at the front desk and she went back and got this other guy who was in an office and she goes, tell her what happened to you. And I'm like, you know, and, and so he's looking at me like, who are you? You know? Mm-hmm. So I told him, I'm, I'm like, I, I said, I'm the girl who's weird. I said, I got all these ghost stories. And I said, all I right, just told right. her, I felt like I got touched on the, on the elevator. And he's like, no way. He goes, okay, get this. So he tells me that he's getting ready to stand up at his desk. He goes, my, my desk excuse my dog. He says, my desk uh, faces the doorway. He says, and I'm standing there. He goes, I stood up at my desk with papers in my hand. He goes, I had to go make copies. He says, and directly out or right in the doorway, he goes, is this guy standing there? He goes, you could tell he was wearing an older suit. He says, and he just stood there and looking at me, he says, and I just stood there because I knew he wasn't human. He's like, I knew it wasn't alive you know he says and as i'm standing there he goes this thing's got like a shimmer to it he goes it's almost like you know when you drop a penny in water and you get Mm -hmm. that reflection it's just kind of shimmery and he goes and hell if that guy didn't just disappear he goes and it wasn't just a vanish he says it looked like somebody snapped their finger and it just went down like everything just fell into the floorboards he says and at the very bottom i see this little tail wisp of like air going through the floorboard 
And I'm like, oh, that's weird. And I'm like, what'd you do? And he's like, you know, I, he goes, I threw everything down and ran out of there. He says he ran across the street. There's a jeweler directly across the street. He goes, I ran over there, called him, said, screw you guys. I'm not coming back in that building. I quit, you know, and he starts laughing. He goes, this was on a Friday. He goes and the lady's like, I had to bring his keys down to him. You know, she's making fun of him. And uh, he's like, yeah, he goes, you know, he goes, yeah, it was Friday. He goes, you know, by Sunday, I was thinking I really need a job. <laughs> right, right. He's like, so I just went. He goes, but I won't work here. He goes, if anybody's leaving and I'm the last one here, he goes, I'll, I'll go work at a restaurant or something for internet. He's like, I'm not. It was before everybody was uh, had mm. internet at home. So, right. so he's telling me this story. And there was another girl there who told me about how she'd see in her screen. They put her in a hallway. They didn't have enough desk or offices Mm -hmm. so she was literally pushed to the side on a desk she said that she'd be sitting at her desk and she'd be able to see in her monitor before Mm -hmm. (laughs) anti-glare she'd be able to see a shadow walking back and forth and hear the wood floor squeaking behind her she's like but when i took pictures she literally brought in a polaroid camera she goes i take pictures over my shoulder they're all empty there's nothing there um but you know so i heard this story again i just wrote it down didn't think anything of it And I ended up looking at the building and the history of the building. And this is what I, what I live to do. This is like where I get excited. Right. Found out that there was a man in 1899. His name was Nyram Fletcher. And hell, if he didn't have an office on the fourth floor, which is exactly where they were located. Wow. Yep. Um, (laughs) He was a prominent attorney. Uh, He basically kissed his wife goodbye in the morning, said, honey, I'll see you for lunch. And she said, sounds good. He went to work, he closed his door, and everybody assumed it was a normal day until lunchtime came around and she called because she was expecting her husband to come home and he didn't. Um, So she thought maybe he just got busy. She was like, maybe I'll bring him up something. So she called up there and the secretary is like, I hadn't seen him today. Hold on, let me check. She goes to go into his office and the door's locked, which is very odd, very strange Mm -hmm. for him. Um, so they all kind of start panicking a little bit because he had been acting a little depressed, you know, prior to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went, got the the uh, janitor to open the door. As they're doing this, another one of his coworkers, I don't like any of my coworkers this much, don't know about you, but he literally climbed out on the ledge of the building and walked to get to the window. And he was able to see that Nyram had taken a straight razor, slit his throat and laid down on the couch. And... They broke down the door after that because they didn't wait for the janitor. Um, sadly, the man did did pass away. Nyram was gone. Um, uh, he did leave a note, a suicide note, basically saying that he felt like he had the best of everything. He loved his family, loved his friends, loved his home, loved his job. But he felt like something was very wrong with him and his body. And he didn't want to be a burden to the family. And he just knew something was not right. Um, during wow. the autopsy, they did find out that he had... Uh, showed signs of chronic meningitis, which was inflammation of the tissue surrounding the brain. Um, so he, they said that honestly, he probably would have had only about three months left because it was that advanced. So he just, you know, sadly that's the way he went, but you know, it depends on if you want to think it's a blessing or not. Um, but ever since then, you know, the workers are seeing those masses floating around and, so seeing it, him in the building, you know, him in the building. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's, so. it's the same building as when he lived, when he was yes. working there, right? Yes. And then the wow. one thing we always thought was kind of funny, and it's not, they, they put in a, I think it's like a wine bar downstairs now. But mm-hmm. back when we first started doing the tours, the entire building would be black. You know, there was like nobody in it, except for that one freaking room had one light bulb always lit. It's almost like nobody <laughs> wanted to shut the light off. There was always wow. one light on in that one room. Wow. So, makes you wonder. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's great that you guys take the time to research the the history behind this, the the ghost story and mm-hmm. yeah, and that's... sorting what it is from uh, the folklore. Absolutely. You know, Cuz there's there's also stories that are probably more urban legend than they are real. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? The Ada Witch is a perfect example of that one. Um, is that that's more of an urban legend? That's or? more of an urban legend. Yes, there's supposed to be this woman that was caught cheating by her husband in the fields, and this was an Ada, and that she had um, he ended up basically killing her and the man at the same time, and she's supposed to be buried in the cemetery, and we had done tons of research, and found that the you know, people were actually desecrating the, the stone in this place, um, mm. talking about how like they would 
they were selling pieces of this tombstone of this poor woman. And uh, she, yeah. So they were selling them on like eBay. You literally could go out and buy a piece of this tombstone. Like it's awful. And she literally had absolutely no stone left. There was like maybe an inch showing left at, on the, on the grave. And um, we started doing a whole bunch of research and I'm trying to remember exactly what the name was. Cause it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, it, uh, we ended up doing tons of research and we found out that there was a woman known as Sarah McMillan. That's what it was. That's the name I'm trying to remember. Um, mm-hmm. Sarah McMillan was the tombstone that was chipped away. Oh. Um, and everybody kept saying, this is the witch of Ada. This is the witch of Ada. She's known as haunting the roads and, you know, she's pissed mm-hmm. off because she got killed. And well, we ended up finding out that Sarah McMillan actually died of tuberculosis and, um, had nothing to do with being murdered. You know, we looked up every person that would have been in the, in the urban legend. They say she's in her twenties. You know, we yeah. looked up every female in that age group and none of them ended up yeah. having some kind of violent death. It was all natural. Yeah. Um, we actually worked with a company and we replaced her entire stone. So she's got a beautiful headstone now <laughs> in the wow. ground where nobody can chip it away. Um, and we actually gave the original headstone to the historical society. I don't know if they actually kept it or not, but that was, hmm. yeah. Cause we didn't want someone to try and, you know, benefit from having the rest of that stone and it's just not. Yeah. That's cool. kind of, you know, that's the kind <laughs> cool. of stuff that, um, yeah. you know, I've, and I've covered some videos and things in my YouTube channel with mm-hmm. some of the urban legends on one of the Oak Hill cemetery. There's always this, oh, yeah. this the one about the crying Mary, which is mm-hmm. all invented and fabricated and yes, uh, people carry it on for years. And it's, it's a, yeah. a fun tale to tell around the fireplace, but it's not really a true story. Uh, That's funny. You even mentioned that my son actually brought that up the other day asking if we can go see it. And I'm like, you don't need to. It's not yeah. real. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's all, the statue's all been. <laughs> it's a beautiful statue for art oh, if you want to see it. Absolutely. It was designed in Chicago, but it's not. Um, it, it's not any of the stories behind it are true. I mean, absolutely. and it's been cleaned up since then, so the streaks on her face are gone. But, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, any other history? Oh, you mentioned the Livingston Hotel. Is that a good story that we could talk about here? Yeah, or? absolutely. So the Livingston um, was located on Fulton and Division. And that had been there for quite a few years. Again, it was another hotel um, that was quite popular back in the day. Um, we had a, everybody knows Art Prize these days. Uh-huh. Um, so during Art Prize, I was walking by on Division Street and this guy is standing there looking in the window. And I walked up to him and my husband always yells at me because I, he says the people mm-hmm. behind us admire, know my social security by the time I'm gone. Cause it's like <laughs> I just talk and talk to everybody. And, um, I walked up to this guy and I'm like, what are you looking at? Like, I was thinking maybe a pa- painting was getting hung up inside or something. And mm-hmm. he's just like, um, he's like, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And I kind of giggled to myself and I'm like, I'm like, give me, give it a try. Like, what, what'd you do? Mm-hmm. And he was telling me about how he had been there prior um, and he had seen a man dressed in old fashioned clothes. He said he had on like a painter's cap. He said he had painting paint all over his, uh, he had like the, uh, oh, what do you call them? The, the suspender jeans, mm-hmm. yeah. um, the overalls. He had those yeah. on and he says a guy had a white beard and that he was just staring out the window. And he goes, he goes, this happened. He says probably about six months ago. He goes, and I just kind of sat here looking at the guy thinking, wonder what he's up to, you know, cause this is back in the building was pretty empty. I'm looking at this guy. He goes, and all of a sudden he goes, he goes, I kind of turn and look. Cause he goes, I kept thinking maybe it's a reflection. The guy looked kind of weird inside. Like, mm-hmm. like maybe he was looking at a reflection next to him in the window. He goes, he didn't look there, but he looked just, he, he goes, it's hard to explain. Hmm. He says, so I turned to see if maybe this is a guy standing across the street, just being reflected or he mm-hmm. goes and he goes, the minute I turn around, he goes, that same guy who had been like eight feet across the room was directly in front of the window, right, right in front of me. He goes, oh. I, I jumped back. He goes, I literally fell off the curb. He says, and I almost got hit by a bus. It's like his story just kept getting better and better. <laughs> <laughs> the fish was really big. <laughs> Um, he's like, you know, he goes, the bus driver, you know, he just kind of waved cause he saw that I fell and 
and he's like, thank God I didn't get squished. He's like, but he goes, ever since then, I'm always, he goes, I looked up, he goes, and the guy's gone. He goes, I've never seen him. He goes, mm-hmm. and I just wonder what did I see? And I'm like, that's hilarious to me that you are talking to me about this. And uh, I'm like, well, I said, let me tell you why I'm not surprised. <laughs> and he's like, he goes, what do you know? And I said, well, and I you know, explained, I do tours here. And I said, and this is a perfect story to, to tell you about. So back in 1887, there was a seven story building there, or excuse, six story building there. Um, and it was known as being a pretty good hotel. You know, it had tons of rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, there were sad stories that happened just like in all places. Uh, there was a man from Chicago who, who slit his throat. Uh, he had consumption, so he didn't want to do it at home, you know, so he mm-hmm. took his life in the hotel. Um, in 1909, there was a 17 year old elevator operator named William O'Brien who was, um, he, he was asked to deliver a message up to the, the floor on the fifth floor and the guy tipped him a dollar. And like, everybody's like, the last person that saw him, saw him crisping this dollar. He was so happy he got a dollar as mm-hmm. he was, you know, the elevator doors open and he stepped in right back down. Apparently the elevator never made it up to the floor. So he fell down the elevator shaft and died. Oh. Um, I mean, just horrible stories. I'll tell you, ever since I started doing tours in Grand Rapids, I don't go on elevators. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> well, the old, that's, those were the days when elevator safety protocols that's weren't exactly really in. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but the, the, the biggest one was on April 1st of 1924, uh, fire began in the men's room downstairs mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it started to be pretty confined and it just ended up going up to the point where the entire place was absolutely just engulfed in flames and they had people from out of town. You couldn't see through the smoke. I mean, it was horrible. They ended up having, uh, I believe eight deaths and 10 people were seriously injured. Um, there were people jumping out of windows trying to escape. I mean, it just was not the, the new Grand Rapids press actually called it. The headline was nighttime Holocaust. Um, wow. there, it was just not, not good. Um, but there was one man who his name was Giles Wade, who kept running into this building. He actually was there. He was a painter mm-hmm. and he was known as living in this building for many years. So he knew the ins and outs, you know, he knew where to go and whatnot. So he kept going back in. He was a he was a dang hero. You know, he kept going back in and getting these people from out of town that didn't know what to do and helping them out of the building. And oh. he had saved many different people this night and went back in to help some more and sadly did not make it out of the building. They ended oh. up finding his body four days later in the rubble. Um, so it, it makes me think the way that the guy described how he's dressed. Mm-hmm. Could it have been Giles, you know? Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. Um, and they end up finding out that Grace Morrow, she was the proprietor of the building. Um, she passed away before she was actually held accountable, but she had several insurance policies on the place. And she was basically hmm. trying to get the money from them. So they they were they had enough evidence to convict her, but she passed away before they were able to do that. So wow. they believe that she intentionally started it to try and get the insurance money. So, and it was raised and purchased by Consumers Power and then Davenport College. So it's, it had been a building for Davenport College for quite a few years. It's literally just like a, I believe it's two stories now. It's a pretty small little building. It's Mm -hmm. not the the big monster that used to be there. Um, And now I believe it's actually like a men's clothing store down, downtown. So, okay. So you guys do tours. Um, when yeah. do you have any tours coming up this June? Um, we do not. Uh, we actually, well, as far as the tours, I usually start doing them and my pe- the people I do them with. Uh, we occasionally will throw them up, so feel free to give it a shot uh, on paranormalmichigan.com. Uh, we, they, my, my two partners do them with me. Um, I've got one route that I do by myself. Um, so we basically kind of break it up. The very first route... Rob and Nicole do. And then the second route I do. Okay. Um, and sometimes they schedule them so they could be, that's what I said. So feel free to take a look. But as far as me and making sure that all these tours are being done, I can guarantee there will be tours as of August. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. August is the time to start looking. It's usually around the fall that we really start to see a pickup and, you know, making it a, a good time job. <laughs> so. Okay. So I'll make sure I include the link to your website in the description of the podcast and also um, the link where they can buy your book. Yeah. Get Um, it anywhere. It's at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, you name it. It's there. Great. 
So, and all these stories that we talked about and, and many more are also in the book. So they should Absolutely. check it out today. And I'm and... working on book two. A lot of the oh. stories I tell on my second route uh, or on the second route uh, are going to be in the new book. So a lot of them are, are things that I talk about, but they aren't in writing yet, but they will be very soon. I'm getting there. <laughs> well, that should be something to look forward to. We'll yeah, definitely have absolutely. to have you back on to tell some yeah, more stories. Absolutely. I'd love to, for sure. Okay. Well, that's going to conclude today's podcast on the haunted history of Grand Rapids, Michigan. I've been talking with Julie Rathsack, the co-author of the book, Ghost of Grand Rapids. And we've been chatting about ghostly hotel guests, urban legends, and true stories of Grand Rapids' spine-chilling past. So, if you want to have a good time and experience a little bit of ghostly history, be sure to check out the links in this podcast and certainly look for the events that she hosts in the Grand Rapids area. And if you'd like to find out more about me, be sure to check out my website at michaeldelaware.com If you'd like to suggest other guests for my Tales of Southwest Michigan Pass program or would like to be a guest yourself and talk about some local history, feel free to reach out to me through the contact form on my website. And until next time, when we take another journey down into Southwest Michigan's past, thanks for listening.